Good morning and welcome to Nature Watch. Nature Watch, sponsored by Waddell's Nursery Floral Garden and Bird Center at the corner of Millam and 12th Street, right there on the roundabout. Now, here he is, your host for Nature Watch, Mr. Gary Miller. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? Uh, a little damp this morning. <laughs> a little bit, but you know, you and I were talking off air. We, I think we're in agreement. Any kind of precipitation that you don't have to take off your driveway with something called Toro is good. Yes, yes, yes. So. I'm so, good with that. It's quite warm out there this morning. Actually, yet. it is, and the bottom's going to fall out, according to Sarah, tomorrow. Yes, yes, it is. It looks like it's going to get a little cooler next week. Though yeah. We're still above normal temperatures, looks like, for That's the next true. week or week and a half at least. That is true. And uh, it looks like they might get some of that white stuff out east of it. On, on the east coast or yeah, so. Yeah, that's so, okay. They can have it. Right they now. can have it this time of year. I would like to have snow for Christmas, but I'm, yes, you yes. know. Well, it'd be nice to have a few flakes come down and not make the roads too messy or anything. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, actually with the warm temperatures this week, uh, I noticed the sandhill cranes are moving around quite a bit again. And uh, last uh, weekend after the uh, we had that snow stuff uh, last week, it uh, seemed like they went south a little further just to get a little warmer. And then they came back north with the warmer temperatures. And I actually saw quite a few... Uh, Sandhill cranes out in the fields this week. Did not see any this morning. So I'm guessing that they're anticipating the temperatures dropping down and it went a little further south again. Smart so birds. Either that or they're trying to find some place that's somewhat dry this morning. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, boy, that weather just, uh, just goes up and down. The typical Michigan weather, I guess, if there is such a thing. So <clears throat> it, uh, not uh, usual temperatures, that's for sure. So a few events uh, coming up. Uh, we'll hit those real quick here. And uh, so second uh, day of the second Santa weekend at Waddell's today. So if you have uh, kids that want to see Santa, 10 to 2 today. Um, next week, there's a couple Paula days with your dogs with Santa. So uh, oh. on the tw- uh, 12th and the 15th from 4 to 6. Um, so check Waddell's out for uh, those times if you need to to uh, remember those times at Waddell's.com. Um, I've, I've mentioned this a couple times, and actually it's coming up this next week. There's an online bird and coffee chat through Kellogg Bird Sanctuary. Huh. And that is next week on the 13th from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. It's a Zoom meeting, so it's an online seminar. And uh, Elliot Nelson from Michigan State is going to be talking about all the rare birds that have been spotted in Michigan this year. And we've talked about a few of those, including the Limpkin several weeks ago. Um, there's no fee for the program, but you do need to register ahead of time so they can get you the Zoom link. Um, you can check that out at Kellogg Bird Sanctuary on their website. And uh, one, one other thing, that uh, I guess a big one that's coming up here in the next several weeks, um, starting the 14th of December through January 5th, is Audubon's 124th Christmas bird count. And something neat to see. So you can actually go to audubon.org and uh, search for their Christmas bird count. You can join the count. There's different areas. There's coordinators for different areas. And you do need to register with that. Uh, coordinators can uh, let you know what uh, what to look for when they're meeting, if they're meeting certain spots, and uh, that way they can get your data on that. Um, the uh, there aren't there isn't full coverage everywhere, so there, you look at those uh, there's circles that uh, show where the coverage areas are, and uh, they do those on different dates. So they don't always do it just on Christmas Day, but they do that that uh, window of time. And uh, so uh, a couple a couple of neat things. Uh, uh, coming up here in the next several weeks. The a uh, lot of fun, man, I'm telling you. Yeah, and actually <laughs> something else that's uh, occurring this next week is uh, the peak of the Geminid meteor shower. Oh, yes. If we have um, clear skies, we can see it. Yeah, and it looks like the weather forecast might hold out true that we may have clear skies on the 13th and 14th, or mostly clear, so I should be able to see some. 
Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Well, actually, I'm going to throw out the trivia question here. Okay. So we can uh, get people to start Googling, getting their thumbs working on those, those All right. keys. Uh, so this is like a two-parter again. I like challenging you folks in the morning. Make sure you got your coffee, you're wide awake. So the two-part question is, one, when did the first Christmas bird account occur? So you're talking about year? What year? Okay, what yep, year? year? And right. actually, I'm looking for day. Oh. Day and year. Okay. So so the part of the question might be a good hint when that occurred. Um and then the second part is, on that first Christmas bird count, how many bird counts were actually held? Oh. So there was more than one, I will tell you that. Okay. And uh, so we'll see uh, how, how awake folks are this morning and see if they can come up with that, uh, All right. that answer or those answers. Well, you can win a $20 gift card from uh, Widell's that you could use for bird supplies or nature supplies or anything for Christmas and whatnot, being a good stocking stuffer. So, again, uh, what date did the first... first Christmas, Christmas bird, count. bird count take place. And the second part is, how many bird counts took place? Yes. Now, 382-4280-877-382-4280. And Everybody's I can hear computers clicking all over West Michigan now. <laughs> so so while, while we're waiting for those uh, folks to see come up with an answer here, or answers, we'll see, uh, talk a little bit about the Geminid meteor shower. Okay. And uh, the peak dates are the 13th and 14th this next week. Um, actually, the overall uh, duration of the shower um, started November 19th and runs through the 24th of December. Hmm. The uh, best time and actually the peak time to really see it is about 2 a.m. in the morning. Okay. Um, that's when the uh, radiant or the point where it looks like the meteors emerge from um, is at its highest point in the sky. The uh, meteor shower actually um, originates from an asteroid, not a comet, but an asteroid known as 3200 Phathon or Phaethon. Uh, and uh, it's different because most meteor showers come from comets. Okay. So a comet is typically a dirty snowball, for general description, with a solid nucleus covered by a layer of ice, which uh, sublimates, which it turns it from a solid to a gas as the comet nears the sun. Comets are typically lightweight, with a density slightly heavier than water. They revolve around the sun in elongated orbits, going close to the sun and going far from the sun. Seen through a telescope, a comet will show a comma or head of the comet as a nebulous patch of light from the nu- around the nucleus when it gets close to the sun. But when seen from far from the sun, most comets appear star-like because you only see the nucleus. Uh-huh. An asteroid is a rock. Typically, an asteroid's orbit is more circular than that of a comet. Through a telescope, an asteroid appears star-like. 3200 Phaethon was discovered on images uh, by the infrared astronomical satellite in 1983, so it's a relatively huh. new uh, discovery. I'm going to have you pause there because ah. I, we have a caller. Ah. But if the caller is listening to the station, you have to understand again that Gary and I are the only ones here. So when I pick up the phone, I'm going to pick it up and put you on hold right away. Don't hang up. Okay? <laughs> so here we go. Hold. Now we can bring them in. Good morning. Welcome to Nature Watch. Who's this? Good morning. This is Mary. Mary, you know, you follow directions really well. Thank you, Mary. Because I've had people hang up on me. They go, somebody answered, but I didn't hear anything. Well, I thought maybe I was too late. No, you're not. You're actually... I hung in there. Yeah, there you go. All right, so we have a two-part trivia question. Um, When was the first Christmas bird count? What date? And then how many bird counts did they do that year? Okay, so it was started on Christmas Day in 1900. Correct. Mm-hmm. To in as an alternative to hunting during the holiday event. Oh, yes. very good. Yes, very good. Then 
about 90 birds. Well, not num- necessarily the number of birds. How many count? How many bird oh. counts did yeah, they? So, do? how many locations did they do? Yeah, bird how many locations? At? Twenty-five did... bird counts. Very good. Whoa, that's correct, Mary. You and you hit the trifecta because you gave us a fact that we didn't know. <laughs> oh, that's scary. Mary is the... <laughs> yeah. Actually, actually, I had some info. I was going to talk about the Christmas bird count. I did have that tidbit of information. Oh, okay. Too. There you they, go. They actually, um, you're actually the ninety was correct though. They actually um, counted ninety species of bird wow. when they did that first uh, Holy bird cow. count. Man, Mary, you just hitting on all cylinders this morning. Woo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> Once I well, had your cup of coffee this morning. And Merry Christmas to you, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. You pick up Thank the prize. You. It's a $20 gift card uh, from Waddell's. We're going to put you on hold for a second, and as soon as we go to our break, I'll be back with you really quick to get your information. So hang in there, okay? I will do that. All congratulations, right. Mary. Thank Bye. you, ma'am. Way, way to go, Mary. Yeah. Right she, the hit, like, morning. she hit four. Yes. Whew. I have to expand my questions. Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> I to make sure those folks are awake Saturday morning. So the uh, the uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the geminids, and then we'll go into the Christmas bird count a little bit too. The geminids um, that, that uh, uh, asteroid thirty two hundred was discovered in nineteen eighty three, and after the orbit was calculated, they they announced that this asteroid had the same orbit as the geminid meteor shower. So they um, Thought that was very unusual, um, since an asteroid had never been associated with a meteor shower. Um, it is still not known how material from the asteroid's surface or interior is released into the meteoroid stream. And uh, when you get to the peak hour, and you've got to be in a really dark sky to see them, but you may see as many as 100 or 120 or more Holy meteors cow. in an hour. Uh, but you're probably not going to see as many because uh, right near the the radiant point where the Meteors look like they emerge from. They're very short tails on them, so it uh, is really important to have that really dark sky. And you don't want to be looking right at the, the constellation Gemini um, because you're not going to be able to see a lot of them. You actually want to look out beyond that. And uh, with the uh, moon being very dark this year, so we should have some very good observation um, capabilities as long as the sky is clear. So right now the forecast looks promising. Um, we'll see. Uh, but it looks like it'll be clear or mostly clear. Uh, make, so a couple, couple of points as far as watching meteors. Uh, that dark sky is really important. Uh, that 2 a.m. at all parts of the globe, uh, northern hemisphere has better observation of the showers. Um, so 2 a.m. is the peak, but you can see them any time of night. Um, it's good to bring a buddy when you're watching the showers. And then the two of you can watch in different directions. When someone sees one, call out meteor. This lets you see more meteors than one person watching alone. And be sure to give yourself at least an hour or more of observation time. It takes about 20 or 30 minutes for your eyes to adapt to the dark. Um, so if you just go out for a few minutes, you're probably not going to see very many because they're not super bright. And uh, don't need any binoculars. Um, so you can just uh, need to need some, uh, you know, maybe some a sleeping bag to sort of tuck into and uh, you know, a nice uh, zero-gravity chair and sort of lounge back. There you um, go. I've actually watched meteor showers like that uh, and uh, taking my camping pad and my, my winter sleeping bag and just laid down and watched as you actually can look, look up in the sky very well that wow. way and, and don't you get a kink in your neck after a while. Um, the, the Geminids are unique too because sometimes they have a little bit of a greenish hue to them, so they're not just white. And uh, so they may not just see that white uh, visual with the, uh, the tails on those meteors. 
And they, they say the, uh, the green color comes from uh, the oxygen, obviously, in the atmosphere, magnesium and nickel. So that's why they determined that it comes from the asteroid. And uh, it, uh, it's, it's fun to see those, especially when you see lots of them at, at a time. Um, you know, and it looks like it's not going to be super cold, so yeah, be uh, be neat to see. So it uh, something something they'll do this next week. If you want to can't get back to sleep or wake up in the middle Come of the night out. and like, oh, let's go out and watch. Let's the go out and watch the meteors. There you go. All <laughs> right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about. Um, Christmas bird count. Christmas bird and then count. Maybe maybe we'll talk about a few more woodpeckers at Lozine, Oh yeah, Michigan we can pick tell. up our woodpecker uh, announcement. So, all right. Well, uh, we'll uh, be back. And if you have a comment or, or a question for Gary, you can call him at three eight two four two eight zero or eight seven seven three eight two four two eight zero. And we'll be right back on Nature Watch here on WKZO. Ho ho ho! Join me, Santa, at Waddell's Garden Center DIY Open House. The DIY Open House at Waddell's Nursery Florist and Garden Center continues today until 2 p.m. Join Santa and his elves at the Christmas Workshop for pictures. There's no charge for photos, just be sure to bring your camera. Another great photo opportunity will be the Nativity Walk. Follow the Nativity Story and take pictures at the four stops, the last one being the live Christmas donkey. Plus, you'll be able to make Christmas decorations and unique gifts to give away this holiday season. Craft projects are just $3 to $6.50. Enjoy the huge selection of Michigan-grown trees, handmade wreaths, and poinsettias. Plus, be sure to check out all the beautiful Christmas decor, which is all 33% off. And today only, buy one ornament, get one free. It's the Christmas DIY Open House, going on today until 2 o'clock at Waddell's Nursery Florist and Garden Center on Texas Drive at the corner of Millam and 12th Street. All right. I'm supposed to play this. So apparently, Gary's over here dancing. Well, there's this thing, you know, in the way. All right, so we're back in Nature Watch. WKZO News Time is 845, and uh, Gary Miller, of course, here with me. Yeah, so Mary was right in the ball with the Christmas bird yes, count this was. morning. Wow. So, so as Mary mentioned, the Christmas bird count was actually started as an alternative. Um, back around 1900 or before, they used to do Christmas side hunts. It was sort of a holiday tradition. And they would choose sides and go afield with their guns. Whoever brought in the biggest pile of feathered inferred quarry won. So decimated uh, some of the wildlife population. Might have done some uh, population thinning. Um, this year that might be a good option for some of all those deer out there. <laughs> just saying. Uh, so um, conservation was just in the start of its beginning stages in that era. And uh, that's what they uh, actually started. So ornithologist Frank Chapman. Um, an early officer in the then very new Audubon Society, proposed a new holiday tradition, a Christmas bird census, that would count birds during the holidays rather than hunt them. And so began the Christmas bird count. So Christmas Day, 1900, this is its 124th year this year. And uh, so that first year they had those 25 bird counts. There were 27 dedicated birders that did those 25 counts. And the locations ranged from Toronto, Ontario, to Pacific Grove, California, with most of the counts in or near the population centers in northeastern North America. And they did tally around 90 species in all those counts combined. So this year, uh, the Christmas bird count, again, is running from December 14th through January 5th. Actually, each year it does. And they have tens of thousands of volunteers that go out and do those counts. So each of the little count areas, they have a coordinator, and that coordinator uh, sets a date when they do those counts sometime between December 14th and January 5th. And they uh, really have uh, done a lot with those Christmas bird counts. The uh, 
bird counts actually help uh, observers, uh, including Audubon researchers, conservation biologists, wildlife agencies, um, to study the long-term health and status of bird populations across North America. And when combined with other surveys, such as breeding bird survey, it gives us a picture of how the bird populations have changed in time and space over the, the past 100-plus years. So something neat to, to do uh, if you got some time to volunteer. Um, the Audubon Society would greatly appreciate that. And uh, it uh, help, helps us all understand uh, how our bird populations are doing. Yeah. So Sounds like fun. So one, one of those birds that you might see in the Christmas bird count, though maybe not a whole lot, is one of the uh, resident woodpeckers here in Michigan, the yellow-bellied sapsucker. Hmm. Say that fast three times. <laughs> uh, and not get in trouble. Yeah, so uh, on the walk through the forest, a lot of times you'll see those trees that have a, a spot, rows of shallow holes in tree bark. And that is the yellow-bellied sapsucker. And it... Uh, laps up this leaking sap from the tree and any trapped insects, and it's got a specialized brush-tipped tongue. And it's a, it's a black and white bird with a red cap, and in the males, they have a red throat also. They will sit still on tree trunks for long intervals for, while feeding. To find one, listen for their loud mewing calls or stuttered drumming. So some neat facts about the yellow-bellied sapsucker. They make two kinds of holes in trees to harvest sap. Round holes extend deep in the tree and are not enlarged. The sapsucker inserts its bill into the hole to probe for sap. Rectangular holes are shallower and must be maintained continually for the sap to flow. The sapsucker licks the sap from these holes and eats the cambium of the tree too. New holes usually are made in a line with old holes or in a new line above the old. Those sap wells that the yellow-bellied sapsuckers create attract hummingbirds, which also feed off the sap falling from the trees. In some parts of Canada, ruby-throated hummingbirds rely so much on sap wells that they time their spring migration with the arrival of sapsuckers. Other birds, as well as bats and porcupines, also visit sapsucker sap wells. I say that fast three times. <laughs> I had tongue twisters this morning. So yellow-bellied sapsuckers have been found drilling sap wells in more than 1,000 species of trees and woody plants though they have a strong preference for birches and maples. And that's because the birches and maples have a higher sugar content. They frequently use human-produced uh, materials to help in its territorial drumming. And Jim and I were talking earlier. Uh, so the woodpecker family, they use wood to sound, but they also use metal sometimes. So sometimes street signs, metal chimney flashing, amplifies that irregular tapping of a territorial sapsucker. Mm-hmm. And uh, it appears to seems to suffer no ill effects of whacking its bill on metal, and a bird will return to a favorite sign day after day to pound out its Morse code-like message. So something to keep in mind, you have that, hear that noise out there, it's uh, maybe a, a yellow-bellied sapsucker or another of the woodpecker family. The yellow-bellied sapsucker is the only woodpecker in eastern North America that is completely migratory. Although a few individuals remain throughout much of the winter in the southern part of the breeding range, most head further south, going as far south as Panama. Females tend to migrate further south than do males. So they're a very, fairly small bird with stout, straight bills. And they're about the, uh, between the size of a uh, slightly smaller than a hairy woodpecker, a little bit bigger than a downy woodpecker, so about that robin size or so. The, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I noted when I was looking at the, 
uh, information on the yellow-bellied sapsucker is that uh, the uh, out west they um, actually they have a, re- uh, a different type of uh, sapsucker, but here in the east, and they've had sapsuckers actually tap on uh, like a metal old metal truck or so body, and they've heard that sound for over half a mile. Wow! Um, so they got those metal uh, metal um, portions around your structures around your your house and that that you hear uh, something tapping on there. It's probably a woodpecker of some sort, and maybe very well be a sapsucker. Um, they usually find lots of fast-growing trees where they, they um, reside, and they, they usually look for trees that are somewhat damaged or maybe they've, they've got something, um, a disease or something that's causing some heart rot in the wood so they can uh, make their nest holes in there. And uh, so they usually don't attack totally healthy trees, though they can, but uh, most times they find some trees that are already compromised somehow from uh, disease or other insect damage in that. And uh, in the wintertime, they um, will actually eat more berries and, uh, and uh, some, of the, uh, some of the insects if they're farther south. The uh, sapsuckers, we mentioned that they're migratory. So their, their breeding range, they're um, basically about the little more than the northern half of the lower peninsula in Michigan and farther north. And so this part of the state, they typically are migrating through both spring and fall. So we don't see a whole lot of them here. Usually you'll see a lot of the birch trees up north that you'll see those rows of holes where they've um, put their rows up there to get that sap coming out. And then they, they winter uh, basically from uh, southern Indiana, Ohio, all the way down to the Gulf and all the way down into the Central America to Panama. Um, so we just see them migrating through this part of the state, but you do see them up north quite often. And uh, they, they do quite a few holes on those trees. So you see those trees or you see that row of holes. Um, you'll see lots of uh, row, uh, holes on there. And they um, also will feed on those, those phloem wells where the sap actually runs. The, the, they like the sap that has more than 10% sugar, um, which is typically like the sugar maples or most of the maples, um, some of the birches, especially when the sap is running in the spring. And they typically will migrate up in the, um, early in the season so they can catch that, that spring sap run and get their holes drilled so they actually get that sap to start oozing out and, uh, and feeding. And they uh, will actually look for um, those trees. They hitch up and down just like a typical woodpecker fashion. So they sort of hitch up and down the, the, uh, the trunk. Um, they fly to like a typical woodpecker with that sort of up and down bouncing or swooping manner. And uh, they actually spend most of their time at their sap wells, either drilling them, licking sap, and uh, eating any insects caught in it or chasing off other birds, such as hummingbirds, that may be attracted to the sap. Uh, sap wells. They also perch at the tips of tree branches when hunting for flying insects and hop on the ground to forage for ants. And in the spring before mating, sapsucker pairs engage in a playful pre-courtship behavior with one sapsucker chasing the other around tree trunks and branches. Courting birds will land, land on a tree and face each other with bills and tails raised, throat feathers fluffed out and crest feathers raised, swinging their heads from side to side. This is the same behavior that they use when aggressively facing off with sapsuckers of the same sex. So something neat, uh, there's actually quite a population of the sapsuckers. Uh, like I said, we don't see them too often in this part of the state, but they do, uh, do migrate through. And uh, the, uh, the other woodpecker that I was going to talk about this morning in the woodpecker family, we don't typically think of the woodpecker family, but if you look at the, the bird and its habit uh, and its feeding, is the northern flicker. Uh, so these are actually a ground feeder. Uh, they typically feed on the ground, 
and uh, they eat mainly ants and beetles. So they will go into an ant colony and actually try to get those ant larvae down down deep. Um, they dig with them, but they have a slightly curved bill. And when you see them fly, you're going to see a little flash of yellow. If you're out west, you're going to see a little flash of red. So in the past, they thought they had two different species, the red-shafted and the yellow-shafted. And then where they sort of meet and sort of overlap, they actually hybridized. So they... Uh, actually hybridize in a pretty wide zone from Alaska down to the panhandle of Texas. So if you go further west, they're red-shafted. Further east, they're yellow-shafted. And uh, they hybrid often has some traits from each of the two forms. The uh, fleckers can actually climb up the trunks of trees and hammer on wood like other woodpeckers, but they prefer that ground feeding. And they are one of the few North American woodpeckers that is strongly migratory, so another migrator. Um, in the northern part of the range, they move south for the winter, although a few individuals often stay rather far north. They nest in holes and trees like other woodpeckers. Occasionally, they've been found nesting in old earthen burrows, burrows vacated by belted kingfishers or bank swallows. And uh, they're half again as big as a hairy woodpecker, so they're between a robin and crow size. Um, they're sort of brownish overall with a white rump patch that is conspicuous in flight and often visible when perched. Undersides of the wing and tail feathers are bright yellow for eastern birds, or again in the west, red uh, with those um, red shafts. Uh, when you look closer, you can see the brown plumage is richly patterned with black spots, bars, and crescents. And one of the neat things with uh, the, uh, the two in the, in the east the yellow shafted actually have sort of a black mustache. When you go west of the red shafted, have sort of a red mustache. So a little bit difference in, uh, in that. And uh, they really, really like feeding on the ground. You don't see them up in the trees often really um, you know, feeding, feeding, looking for insects in the trees because they're looking for all those ants and beetles on the ground. And again, they do sort of a fencing duel in the spring, um, especially rival males. Um, two birds face each other on a branch, bills pointed upward and bob their heads in time while drawing, uh, drawing a loop or figure eight pattern in the air, often giving That's rhythmic cool. wicca calls at the same time. Huh. Very so, cool. So you, I, you occasionally you'll see some flickers in the uh, in the east here in the in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they actually reside here year-round. So they actually go up in the nor- northern Canada, uh, quite far north as far as breeding, but the, basically the northern, tier, or northern edge of uh, the U.S. is where they can come south for the winter, and then they go all the way down to the Gulf. So, wow. Some neat things. Watch for those birds. Uh, if you see something interesting in nature this week, uh, email me, naturewatch at bedells.com. Um, if you see something interesting or have a question, uh, too shy to call on the Saturday morning or haven't had that cup of coffee yet. <laughs> so get outside and enjoy the outdoors. All right. Yeah, and it looks like our weather is going to be at least mitigated a little bit. It'll uh, turn colder tomorrow, but uh, we should be all in. Hopefully we have those clear skies for, for those the, gentlemen and meteor yes, showers. Yes, for the meteor shower. Yeah, we're going to look forward to that. All right, you want to do this again next week? Sure. All right, we can do that. I'll remind everybody again about uh, visiting with Santa today at Waddell's yeah, from Wendell. 10 to 2 at, at uh, Waddell's today. All right, and, there uh, you go. Bring your camera. There you go. Sounds like a plan. Thanks for listening to this edition of Nature Watch. Tune in each Saturday after 8.30 a.m. For Nature Watch, brought to you by Waddell's Nursery Floral Garden and Bird Center. At the corner of Milliman 12th Street, coming up next, CBS and local news. And then the American Outdoorsman. 
a uh, repeat of that show. Right here on 590, 106.9 FM, WKZO. Don't forget, K-Wings Hockey tonight is a host Iowa. 635 airtime here on WKZO.